Hey guys, welcome back to Liberty Diner Dish. I'm Michelle. In this episode, I'm sharing my conversation with the amazing Peter Page. Check it out. I have been in this fandom for a while, but just now have gotten like deeper into it with doing the podcast. And overall, I would say that nearly everybody loves Emmett. Like the other characters, there are things about them that some people might not like or whatever, but but everybody pretty much loves Emmett. So what are some of your favorite qualities about Emmett? Um, I mean, Emmett, the, the best things about Emmett are he's a great friend. Mm-hmm. He likes himself. I mean, outside of that little that little see the light blip, um, he was this you know, um, if uh, unapologetic, effeminate uh, gay man who thought he was great, you know, who thought he was sexy, who thought he was smart, who thought he was fun, who who knew he was kind and knew he had something to offer people, and I think that was pretty miraculous. And still today, I think that's often unseen. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, effeminate gay men especially are still portrayed as often as self-loathing or as, um, uh, you know, victims. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of my favorite comments anybody ever said to me about the show was they said, you give Nellie Queens a good name. And I was like, <laughs> Nellie Queens deserve a good name. Man. Yeah. <laughs> they're out there. They're out there. They're in it. Yeah. Nellie Queens don't pass. Mm-hmm. Nellie Queens, you know, they come out every time they get into a taxi cab or walk into a 7-Eleven and, um, and they're making the world a better place for all of us. So. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So aside from what was written for you just in the script, what were some things that you tried to infuse into that character or portray through that character? So it's interesting. Um, Emmett was conceived to be um, part of a Greek chorus. Like Emmett and Ted were originally not meant to carry any story. They were originally meant to be sort of on the sidelines, kind of giving um, sort of a, a perspective on what Brian and Michael and Justin were were going through. And during the shooting of the pilot, Dan and Ron pulled me aside and said, we love what you're doing and we're going to write to it. Um, yeah. We didn't think we'd get an actor for this role. We thought we'd just get a funny queen. Mm-hmm. But you've taken you've taken our jokes and our words and you've made them resonant. You made them land. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I loved being funny, but, but I also loved the moments that, that Emmett would surprise you and kind of make it like you'd be laughing. And then all of a sudden you'd, you'd have a, a feeling, you'd have an emotion. He, because he did, you know? Um, and to their credit, they, they were really good to that word. They all of a sudden started writing me great stories and, at the very beginning of the series, I was a little bit like, really, I'm playing the big queen. Yeah. There's five gay guys on this show and I'm the queen, really? <laughs> yeah. But by the end, I kind of felt like I had the best character. I got to go on the best ride because yeah. they would give me these great comic storylines and then they'd pull the rug out from under me and let me have a great emotional arc. And Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, but I always felt like, you know, a lot, even in its more comical or more dramatic storylines, like there was a depth to them if you looked for it, I felt like. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, early on, I don't know that people saw it. I think yeah. early on people were like, he's Jack from mm-hmm. Will and Grace. Like yeah. he's he's a big queen and that's who he is. Um, I remember a, an early review of the show said, and, uh, you know, sorry, uh, sorry, Emmett, you've already been outflamed by Jack. And I was like, that's such a, I, I was so insulted by it because I was like, if, if I wanted to be queenier than Jack, I could. <laughs> but I'm interested in doing something, you know, so much more real than that. You know, yeah. I love Sean. Hayes. I think he's a genius. Yeah. And, 
Um, but it, it wasn't, you know what I mean? It just wasn't, um, uh, it wasn't what I was after. I wanted you to know that there was a whole human being. Every time you meet an, you know, a, a, a screaming queen, that there is a whole human being underneath that. Yeah. I think you did that. And uh, that's a credit to your skills that they did write for you. Um, hopefully that was a nice little. It was, it, was, it was more than a nice little. It mattered. It was, we were there for yeah. five years. You know what I mean? Like right. I'd have gone crazy if mm-hmm. I was just there to say sort of like, what did you guys do on Saturday night? I'd yeah. have been nuts. Um, so I'm really, really grateful that they saw, saw that in me. And, you know, I describe the, the process of, of, uh, of doing a TV show as like passing a ball back and forth. Like you, you, you know, they write, they write a script, you get cast and then you take the ball and you shoot the pilot and then they hear you and they see you inside the role. And then that changes how they write yeah. and you keep passing the ball back and forth until, until the show's over. And by the end, it's not a ball. It's the statue. It's the character yeah. you play. Yeah. So I already know what your least favorite storyline for Emmett is, but what was your favorite storyline for Emmett? Um, I think the most important storyline that Emmett did was the crystal meth storyline with Ted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was, a, that was at the beginning of, of that really becoming a scourge in the community. And it, and it has, it has decimated, you know, um, gay men in particular. Um, and so I, I, I really am proud of that. And pr- it was hard to do. It was not fun to do, but I'm really, really proud of that work. So I think in some ways that's the, you know, my favorite, um, uh, my least favorite, as you know, is, is the, is the jerk at work storyline, the porn star storyline never, that was, it was too much like doing porn. Yeah. I was like, I'm a boner away from actually making pornography. I'm in a cold, drafty warehouse with cameras everywhere, pretending to jerk off. Like it was, it was, I, I was like, I made other choices with my life. Thank you. Um, <laughs> to the credits, I, I, at one point I went to Dan and Ron and I was like, guys, I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't, I'm done. And they were like, one more episode. It's Emmett's goodbye. You know, it's Fetch Dixon's goodbye. And I was like, great, that I can do one more. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah. um, and I loved there are things, you know, I loved, um, I'm sorry to, to go on and on, but no, I go, loved, go. Uh, I loved the George Schickel storyline. Mm-hmm. I, um, I think that mattered to people a lot. I think a whole, um, generation of men who felt really invisible felt seen in that storyline. And I think that mattered. And I loved the, I loved the, you know, Drew, the Drew, uh, storyline. Yeah. The, you know, that was really fun. And, um, yeah, so. Those, those were some highlights. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, I really enjoyed that this show was a lot about relationships, be there, you know, between friends, between family, between partners. I really loved that. And it showed how you're kind of shaped and molded uh, by those different relationships. So speaking of Emmett's, like the main ones that he had, the ones that went on for more than one episode. Right. Or, or, or one scene. <laughs> yeah. Or one scene. <laughs> so for George and Drew and, and even Ted, like, what do you think Emmett learned or how did he kind of grow um, from each of those relationships? You know, it's interesting. I think um, with Ted, I think Emmett learned to have boundaries, which I don't think he was great at. Right. Um, largely because of the crystal and where and that really dark, hard, hard turn it took. Um, he learned to value. He had to choose himself over Ted, and that was really awful. And um, but really important. I think it's an important lesson for all of us to learn. 
from George, I think Emmett learned the value of time to, to, I mean, Emmett's always been a pretty good sort of like what's happening right now, you know, but, um, but I think he really realized with George that, that life is fleeting. You're not going to be here forever. So make the most of it. What do you want? What do you want out of this life? Um, yeah. Go get it. And from Drew, I think Emmett learned that not everyone is on your schedule. Yeah. You know, that, that you, um, that, I mean, you know, again, Emmett put himself over Drew. He, 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 he sort of, no, actually, you know what? That's not true. I think in some ways he, he made a sacrifice. He sacrificed Drew. He said, go, go and live your life. You're not ready for me yet. And um, in my in my head, they ended up together. Yeah. <laughs> a few years later, Drew showed up. You know, not stalking him again, but yeah. showed up again in his door and was like, you know, I can't stop thinking about you. Yeah. Oh, I've got all kinds of head cannons about Drew and Emmett. <laughs> so people will be happy to hear that you agree with those. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So um, about the the crystal storyline, and there's another one I want to come back to, uh, but we'll do the crystal one first because I said it already. Um, I know that Emmett has some experience with that. Like he, we gather that he has some firsthand experience, but I don't know, was it supposed to be personal or was it another partner of his? Um, you know, I don't quite remember the backstory that I had stitched okay. together. I think it was another, I, I think if I remember correctly, it was a, an, an ex roommate of his. In my head, the backstory was the roommate he had before Michael Okay. got into Crystal and like almost burnt the, their apartment down. And that, so that was, I think that was my backstory. Okay. Um, that that's why when it started happening again, he was like immediately, you know, on tenderhook. So. Yeah, that works. That makes sense. So we do like an episode by episode um, analysis. And so where we are right now, Emmett is just going into the see the light thing. Um, oh. I think that was actually the last episode that we did and kind of what, what I said, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree, but I feel like um, Emmett's thing definitely in season one was that he really had no direction with um, like what to do. And he was confident who he was, but it was kind of like, I don't, he wasn't really doing anything necessarily, you know, with his life. And so, you know, here's a group that found a person that was kind of wandering and seeking and, you know, needing something to attach to. Uh, but yeah, how do, how would you explain yeah, I mean, look, I, a lot of fans hate that storyline, and I even I struggled with it a little bit, um, and or I, or I at least I understand why people struggled with it. But I think they, you know, like many cults do, they found Emmett at a peak moment of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. You know, he just had that HIV scare, which at the time was really terrifying. Yeah. You know, it was not this. That was not the age of. Uh, you know, I mean, the cocktail had started, I guess, but it, but it, it, it wasn't so skeptical. Uh, yeah. It was still, yeah, it was still, you know, you still did not, you know, know your odds of survival. And, um, and I think he was, you know, scared and lost and felt, and like you said, yeah, he, he hadn't fully kind of found his, he, he found the guys, but I don't know that he'd fully surrendered to them as his family and tribe yeah. yet. And so, um, yeah, they just, they caught him at the right moment and said the right thing. And, yeah. you know, he'd made that bargain with God and it just, it just, boom, the, just the exact wrong tumblers on the lock clicked right. and boom, he was, he was in. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know. Like, same as you, I can see why people had trouble with that one. But I think it was so necessary because that is a real thing that exists in society. And I know that's a lot of the the harder storylines in this show. Like, they were based on real people and real things. Nothing. I mean, sometimes the show sort of had an accelerated timeline or a sort of, you know, melodramatic take on things. But nothing that happened on that show, nothing has, has not happened to me or to someone I know in the community. Yeah. There's just not a single story that's not true. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, for sure. And that, and I think, you know, those, those ex gay movements are incredibly toxic and incredibly dangerous. So I'm glad we did it. Even if um, it, it, you know, even if it was a little bit of a mind to get Emmett, you know, in, into that space, but they, they gave me a springboard at least. They gave me, you know, they gave me the HIV scare to like kind of completely undermine the confidence and joy I've been bringing. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's kind of what we talked about, because in that episode, um, you know, they see another guy and they find out that he has it. And it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, he goes on with his business. But then when it, you know, hits close to home, his attitude is totally different. Yeah. So I think, yeah, what you said is exactly right. Yeah. One of my favorite choices I ever made as an actor is in that episode. Um, When Ted and I go to the doctor's office Uh to get our tests, um, we got to the set that day and there was the skeleton there in the corner and it wasn't scripted or anything. And I just grabbed it and started dancing with it. And the director yeah. was like, that's amazing. And I I didn't even realize what I was doing, but Emmett was about to start dancing with death. That was oh, like- Oh, wow. I didn't even think about it that way. That was the the thing. And I after I did it, I was like, oh, that was really good. <laughs> I was proud of that Man, I wish I would have had that quote from you because I would have said that when we recorded that episode. <laughs> I'd have taken all the credit for it. <laughs> yeah. So were there any storylines that were written for other characters that you wish that we could have explored through Emmett's eyes? Um, so I pitched a few storylines. I pitched the Drew storyline. Okay. I pitched the Ted and Emmett storyline um, as the, the dating storyline. Um, and I pitched um, the storyline that Ben did with steroids. Mm-hmm. I pitched that for Emmett. Um, uh, and that would have been fun to do. I, you mm-hmm. know, it, it worked really, really well on Ben. Um, uh, but I, but that, that's the, that's the one that, that, you know, jumps to mind. Yeah. 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 That would have been neat to see. Um, yeah. It would have been interesting to see Emmett deal with that. Yeah. Hmm. I'm just kind of thinking about how that worked. <laughs> yeah. I think it would have had to be something like he, you know, got bashed or something like that, or yeah. got into a situation where he didn't feel like he had the physical, wherewithal to get him out himself out of it and then started starting to create bulk to protect himself Mm -hmm. yeah well Emmett definitely commits to things when he's made up his mind about something he commits to it and so if he'd have made up his mind about yeah about needing to protect himself that makes that makes sense um what about so I know that you write uh, obviously uh if you were to write a character into this show what character would you write in and what would we explore through that character well, I mean, I, look, the, the, I think the biggest failing of Queer as Folk is the, its lack of diversity, um, of racial diversity, you know, and, and so I would, I really wish, I, I, you know, originally, I think Emmett, Emmett was supposed to be Black. Oh, really? And, um, and uh, you know, I, I certainly, you know, can't wish away my, my getting to play Emmett because right. it was one of the highlights of my life and my career, but I do wish there had been you know, uh, some 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 characters of color. I I I I can't say specifically what I, who I would write or yeah. what, but I definitely think that the um, the whiteness was problematic. Yeah, you remember 
you know, the, the time of when all this was going on. And even now, I mean, it's hard to get a lot of um, people of color in certain storylines. So, yeah, yeah, it's like, I know it but was. It, but, it, it, you know, we were, the show was at the forefront of so much. And I just wish it had been at the forefront. Yeah, I agree with that. So, um Let's talk a little bit about Emmett's friendships with the different characters. So obviously there was Ted and then uh, Michael. I really like the, the the back and forth with him and Brian, but also we, a lot of fans love Emmett's relationship with Justin um, and how it's kind of like big brother, little brother thing there. Um, so talk a little bit about those. You know, I, so originally Ted and Emmett were both Michael's friends. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that happened very quickly is that Scott and I fell in love with each other as, as friends, Scott straight. But yeah. we, but like we, Scott is my, is like my brother. I adore that man. And from the very beginning, from our first screen test, we, we met and, you know, at seven in the morning, we were sitting at showtime waiting for them to open the doors before our very first screen test. And once we figured out we were testing for different roles, we were, <laughs> we were, we were good. And um, we really instantly, Instantly, you know, we spoke a lot of the same language. We came out of theater um, and and instantly, you know, because we'd all been plucked out of our lives and thrown in Toronto. So we start we started just hanging out and taking care of each other. And I think the writers saw it and started writing for it. Yeah. And so, you know, Scott and I continued to just we had so much fun working together. We would laugh ourselves sick and um, and you know, we loved the crew and the crew loved loved when we were there together. And it was just a really, that was really, really magical. And Scott is to this day, one of my closest friends and favorite, yeah. favorite humans on the planet. He's such a good human being. Um, so that, I think that for the, the, what you saw on screen grew out of that, out of something yeah. very, very real. Um, I, uh, I loved, I thought there was something really interesting in the construct of the show that sort of Brian and Emmett and Melanie, Mm-hmm. were these three very strong, yeah. um, very different, but very alpha characters. And that meant that they got along great sometimes and that they completely blew blew things up sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the relationship he had, you know, um, Emmett had with Melanie and Lindsay. I loved the weird competitive, I, I just love that, that Emmett was probably the only one in the entire group except Melanie, who wasn't afraid of Brian. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was the only one who would give Brian shit and call him on his stuff. <laughs> and just be like, um, yeah. Oh, you're just, you're so sexy. <laughs> like he just was like, you know, and, and, and I think Brian loved that too. Mm-hmm. That's I think Brian had a, had a sort of a side-eyed respect for, for him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and even Melanie, who I think stood up to Brian a lot, but she, you know, they had a kid that they had to navigate together. Like, mm-hmm. so she couldn't completely write him off or tell him to fuck off. She had other circumstances where Emmett was like, Oh, go blow yourself. Like, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, so I loved those. I loved those relationships. I loved Emmett's relationship with Debbie um, yeah. that, you know, he, you know, he'd had, he had Aunt Lula, like she became his new Aunt Lula. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he needed that. He didn't have family. He was the only one in the show who wasn't from Pittsburgh. Right. So, you know, he and he had a, he was estranged from his, you know, nuclear family and Aunt Lula was dead. And so he needed a mama, you know, yeah. and Debbie was such a good one for him. They were so silly together. And so, you know, I loved I loved the season when I lived with with Debbie. Yeah. And- <laughs> 
and Sharon, <laughs> I mean, to get to work with Sharon Glass, like Sharon Glass was a TV icon when we started. Like I will never forget in episode seven, the only reason I remember the episode is I remember I had my very first scene, just me and Sharon Glass. We were at that art gallery opening and we're standing there looking at a painting together. And I was like, I'm doing a scene with Sharon Glass. He has two Emmys and two Golden Globes. Like it was, you know, amazing. And I, to this day, I love her. I call her the day and I just, she's, she's my girl. Yeah. Um, uh, so they were, you know, lots, lots of really special, special friendships that, that, um, that, and, and it was great. Like you said, the whole show is about relationships. Mm -hmm. And when you get to explore that over time, the writers go, well, shit, we spent a lot of time with Emmett and Ted. What are we going to do with Emmett now? Like, yeah. like <laughs> oh, what happens if Ted and Emmett aren't speaking? Who does Emmett hang out with? Who does he socialize with? Who does he live with? Like it just, yeah. you know, so I got to have great scenes with pretty much everyone at some point or other. Yeah. Do you think if there wasn't the, the addiction, like if Ted didn't have his addiction, do you think that something else would have pulled Emmett and Ted apart or? Do you think they would have had a couple more years before they happened? Or? I, think it, I think they would have made it longer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it. I don't know. It, it's, you know, what is a long-term relationship? Is it a friendship really right. at its heart? Mm -hmm. um, I think there are people who would tell you that, yes, it is. You know, um, you know, and by the way, like Ted was part Dan and Ron and Emmett was part Dan and Ron. Like, like there were, there were if you, if you sort of, took their personalities and bisected them and then swapped things around a little bit, then you got Ted and Emmett. Oh. And, um, and they, you know, Dan and Ron were in a relationship. So I certainly think there's a world in which they stayed together, but more likely, I think after some time, one of them would have started wanting something a little more or a little different and, and probably, yeah. but who knows? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, so, oh, I meant to ask this earlier, but I know that um, tarot cards played a part in you getting and you deciding to accept this role. Uh, so at what point do you feel like you started to see the fruition of sort of that prophecy or whatever? Really quickly. I mean, um, you know, I, I knew not because of the tarot cards, but because, because like I said, I knew what the show meant to me. I knew it was going to mean something to people. And as, and I knew the only thing we could do, if, if as long as we weren't timid about it, as long as we didn't sort of back away from it as we Americanized it, that, that people were going to be taken with it. And as soon as I saw the pilot, I remember the night they showed us the pilot, I was like, oh, we didn't shy away from shit. This is, <laughs> is going to resonate. And um, so I... Uh, I knew then that it that it was gonna that it was gonna click with people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, most people will tell you they were hooked from the very first episode. <laughs> so I can see how you felt that way. <laughs> Change gears right quick. There is a rumor out in the fan universe that uh, you have at some point read, read fan fiction, and I have to ask this question because someone sent it in to us. <laughs> so they were wondering if that rumor is true. I have not read any fan fiction. I have not. I know it exists and I love that people do it and write it. Um, but I, I have not read any fan yeah. fiction. I, um, it's, it's the main thing. One is I have a job and a life. And I, right. have, <laughs> I mean, I have, I, you know, I'm busy writing, writing television. So, right. so, so I haven't, I, you know, it's just not something I've spent time on. Um, but also it's a little weird and these writers who aren't Dan and Ron are kind of taking it over. So I don't know. It's just, a, it's just, um, 
like I said, I love that people do it. I love that the characters mean enough to people that they're still alive in people's heads. Yeah. Um, but no, it's not something I've done. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a rumor that was out there. I wanted to address it. Um, but um, I wonder why. It's curious. I wonder if I've said something or if there's some, I wonder if like foster storylines or or something I said or pitched or about like where I might be in the future or something, if, if, it, if that happened to sync up with some, some fan fiction. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? So I would imagine that for, for you and Randy and Robert, that this was a totally different experience, you know, because you are gay men in real life and you're out. Um, and so it's a little bit different when you go and, you know, talk about fan fiction or which when you go do an interview or whatever, people expect you to be your character, you know, and that's a little bit easier for say Scott to just say, Oh no, I'm straight. And then, you know, conversations over, but for you guys, it was a little bit harder. And so I imagine there had to be just some period of like reconciliation or something like that. When you shed that character, I just went back to, you know, I still, still people, you know, come up and go, I'm not. And like, you know, if they see me in a gay bar, like they fully expect me to be Emmett. And I, and you know, I love Emmett and I'm mm -hmm. like, I have only good things to say about him, but I'm not Emmett. Yeah. He was a character, you know, just because I, I actually am also gay. Like there are a lot of things about our stories that are not the same. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, I, yeah, that was weird. And, and I actually think it, it really impacted my dating life for a while. I think there were a lot of guys who either wanted me to be Emmett yeah. or who wouldn't date me because they thought I was Emmett, mm -hmm. you know, and that, um, so, uh, cause effeminacy is still a bit of a, um, so much less so with the generation yeah. younger than I am, but in my generation, it's still a, a bit of a, you know, a, a third rail thing for gay men. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was, it absolutely was a part of the whole journey for me. Yeah. I picked up on some of that from um, an interview I, I listened to with Randy and people definitely expect him to be Justin and don't really give him a lot of room to be himself. <laughs> yeah. I feel so bad for him. And he's really not Justin. Yeah. He's really not. He is a Randy a firecracker. And I mean, I know Justin had some of that quality too, but Randy yeah. is, Randy is a little bit weird and esoteric. And so is Gail, interestingly, mm -hmm. but, um, but he's, um, you know, he's smart and funny and he's a little bit of an outsider. Like, like neither Gail nor Randy do their personalities fit their looks. Mm -hmm. Like they're, yeah. they're, they're so much weirder than they look. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, no, I, I think, you know, Randy's, his ne he was never a twink. Yeah. Even when he looked like that, he was never a twink. And it was hard for him. That was one of the things he really struggled with was um, he, you know, he wanted Justin to have some of the same backbone that he had. Mm -hmm. You know, and, uh, I think that, I think he struggled with that through the yeah. five years. Yeah, I mean, he did it. But, uh, but yeah, I can definitely see how that's a hard thing. And because... People just don't want to let that go. Like I watched the uh, the May Day thing that you guys did, which was amazing, um, by the way. Thank you guys for doing that. It made me feel like um, I felt a little bit nostalgic afterwards, almost like uh, you've been at summer camp with your friends and then you left and then <laughs> you don't see him again. So that is all credit to Scotty. He yeah. put that whole thing together and did such an incredible job with it. Yeah, he did great with that. But um, so people, there are like two or three questions that people always ask Randy. And so he answered them as Randy. And, you know, in the comments, people are just, you know, in tears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. And that, I mean, look, that happens to everybody. Right. You know? 
happens to Scott. It happens to Dale. It happens to everybody. But I think because this one defining characteristic that so few actors are have had, especially up to that point, mm-hmm. had been willing to talk about because mm-hmm. it synced up with our characters. People were like, oh, well, I think a lot of people thought I wasn't acting. <laughs> I think a lot of people thought, including like casting directors. Yeah, well. Were, before Queer as Folk, I would screen test to play like the quirky neighbor or the shitty assistant or the weird boss. Mm-hmm. And that all went away. Wow. After Chris, it all went away. If, if it did not say gay in the breakdown, I did not get, get an audition oh. for it. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that was a big, a big challenge for all of us was, mm-hmm. well, if, if he is, if he is gay and he's playing gay on the gayest show on TV, yeah. then that must be who he is. Yeah. That's gotta be a hard thing. And just professionally, like you were on this show that was, you know, so great, but um, then to not have that, I guess to not get the credit you deserve from that professionally almost. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I look, I look, I had, I've had a very nice career and I transitioned yeah. mm-hmm. and I, I had some great, I had some great acting jobs after um, Queer as Folk, but I do, I do feel like it, it limited, it limited my lane. That's part of the reason I started writing and directing. Mm-hmm. I was tired of it. I, you know, by the, the first year after Queer as Folk, I had a great year. I, I had, a, had a great recurring part on a show, and I did a show at the Amundsen in L.A., which is like the, the Broadway house in L.A., and um, and I uh, did a film, and I, like, there was a lot of great stuff. And then the year after that, the only auditions I was getting were for, like, makeup artists, hairstylists, and shoe salesmen. Yeah. And I was like, can't do it, not doing it. I played a much more interesting version of this character for five years. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got to write something. You know, I got to write something. And so um, instead of sitting around and waiting for the phone to ring, it, yeah. like, it, it, it put me on the path that I think I was meant to be on. Mm-hmm. But I do think even today you see uh, a difference. You see openly gay actors getting, getting um, to further expand to kind of their, their story. Um, okay, another question that I have to ask because people want to know, and it's been asked a million times, but we'll ask it again. Um, the, a lot of people want to know, what would it take from the fans to get some type of reunion or revival of the show if it's just like a movie or whatever? Look, we, we're all really open to doing it. You know, um, the, the main thing is, and, and this is, a, it's, the mo- it's the least interesting answer in the world, mm-hmm. the rights are tied up. Somebody yeah. bought the rights to the show mm-hmm. and they've since sold it to Peacock and they're doing a version of it that doesn't have any of us involved. I don't know if that show's going to happen or not. And after that, perhaps there's another opportunity, but um, you know, it, it's, it is until, you know, it, it, it's at this point, it's out of our hands. It's legal. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know what I mean? Somebody, what happened is the rights to the original British series because the rights are very complicated, as opposed yeah. to like the L word, which was like Showtime created the L word, so Showtime owned the L word, so they could reboot it without thinking about it. This happened, the rights to the original British series ended up at a rights house, which is this, this business where they buy up the rights to things. And then you can go through and look at their list and see what they have the rights to, and then you can purchase them. If you purchase them, you own them for a period of time, and that's what happened. And yeah. there so, so. Not the most interesting answer. Um, I think, you know, continuing to let, for example, Peacock and NBC Universal know that you would like 
of you would that if there's any version of a Q as Queer as Folk reboot or revival, you would like the original characters to be involved. That that wouldn't certainly not do us any harm. Yeah. So good. We can tell people to stop petitioning Showtime. <laughs> yeah. Stop petitioning Showtime. Showtime doesn't control the rights. Yeah. So it, so right now now the thing to do is to go to go to Peacock and um, NBC Universal. Well, I mean, of course they're so dear to me, all those characters and those storylines are so dear to me, but also just, I feel like there's so much more story that can be told um, through those characters. Like, yes, you could add into that cast, but I feel like what's already been established, there's so much more that they can still tell us. Sure. Look, and we're in really different places in our lives. And Mm -hmm. I think it's something that's wildly underexplored. It's like, what is it to be gay and middle-aged? Like it's, cause that's what we are. We're middle-aged now. Um, You know, uh, there, I, I do think you would need to, and I think, it, it, you know, if I were running the show, um, I would I would want to do it a multi-generational version yeah. because I think queerness has evolved in such an interesting way over 20 years. Yeah. You know, in, in our generation, th- you were gay or you were straight, and if you were bi, nobody believed you. Right. And now, you know, over 50% of high school students identify as something other than straight, mm-hmm. and I guarantee you, they ain't all gay. Like, right. you know, gay, bi, queer, uh, you know, pan, uh, trans. Like, there's just so much more in that soup now. Yeah. And I think there is a kind of a generational divide that's that's interesting. It would be interesting to explore and, mm-hmm. and immediately sets up a great kind of tension and question. Um, yeah. And also, we're the generation that didn't have queer mentors because mm-hmm. they all died. Yeah. So I, I think getting to see that... Um, the movie that I wrote and directed, that I co-wrote and directed, um, uh, the thing about Harry, um, I wrote specifically, I wrote this multi-generational relationship because it was important to me yeah. to honor that that's a thing that exists now. That mm-hmm. That's an opportunity that younger people have. Yeah. There's a resource out there. I want to talk about that movie, but I have one more question about uh, Queer's folks. So sure. let's just say the fate smiled on us and we got a reunion or a reboot. What do you think, just, I know you're not Dan and Ron, but what do you think Emmett is doing in season six, episode one? Um, I, you know, here's the thing. Emmett was of all the characters. I think Emmett changed the least. He went on big rides, but truly in terms of his core, in terms of his center, Emmett was who Emmett was in episode one and in episode 84. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, I think in some ways you would be sort of struck by like, oh, Emmett's life is still what it was. I mean, I think, you know, I, I'd like to think he's partnered. I'd love to, to find that he's withdrew and, you know, maybe they've got a kid or something, but I still think Emmett's got, you know, some crazy job that like, isn't, isn't a career, you know what I mean? That like, you know, or, um, you know, and, and he's still the best friend in the world and he's still a social butterfly and all of those things. I don't, you know, I hope he's not partying all the time because I yeah. don't think anyone at my age can sustain that um, or should. Yeah. Um, there are people who try that, God knows. Uh, but I think, um, you know, like I said, I think I think you'd be struck by like, oh, that's our Emmett. There he yeah. is, <laughs> still doing his thing. You know, other characters I can, I think of like more kind of, dramatic pitches for how we find them and what's hap- what's transpired. But Emmett, I just feel like, oh, there's, there's Emmett. There, yeah. There's our touchstone. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, I have to, you sparked one more question and then I'll move on. Um, oh. so who do you think grew the most then? Um, 
Who did I think grew the most? I think, you know, you could argue that Justin did because he came, you know, he came from, you know, being in the closet to, to, to all the way out and to really taking charge of his own life. Mm-hmm. But I think I would probably say Ted because Ted started in such a position of self-loathing mm-hmm. in, you know, I mean, it was, it's hilarious to me that they cast Scott as, you know, Scott who looks like George Clooney. They uh-huh. cast as the ugly one. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like I was always like, that's ridiculous. But but Scott understood that that worldview, yeah. you know, and it didn't have anything to do with what it looked like on the outside. He he it's how he saw himself yeah. as unworthy. And um so I think he went off, off through that whole ride from self-loathing to self-loving. And I think that's the biggest journey any of us could take. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the thing about Harry, when that movie premiered, they did a double feature. And so I was, um, I think I was house sitting for some people. And so I was alone, but not lonely. And I watched the movie twice in a row. Um, And I loved it. It was great. Um, So yeah, just talk a little bit about um, that journey and getting that movie out there and why that was important. It was so fun. I mean, they, they brought me, they, they brought me on, they, um, earlier drafts of the script had been written by another writer. Um, they came to me and said, would you be interested in maybe, you know, rewriting this or what would you do? And, and what he had written was lovely. It was a very small town, kind of a Hallmark movie, uh, you know, like a Hallmark Christmas movie. And I was like, I don't know how to write that. I'm not from a small town. I'm not a, like, I don't, it's just not in me. I was like, but if you want a romantic comedy about two gay guys falling in love, then then set me loose. I'm on it because yeah. I love a rom-com. So um, they were like, yes, that's what we want. Go. And I wrote that in two weeks, my, my drafts of that. Um, you know, uh, I wrote in that in a couple weeks. Um, and very quickly, they put it into the production pipeline. And it just happened so fast. It never does. I, I think I pitched the network, my take on it, the end of June. I was on vacation and I wrote the script right then. And by, so that's the end of June, by September, they told me they were going to make it. We started casting October. They officially greenlit it. And I was on a plane November 2nd. We started shooting Thanksgiving. We were done and it was on the air on February 15th. Yeah. It was a crazy fast dream. It never happens like that in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Never. Not, not the most speed track thing in the world, unless you're Ryan Murphy. Ryan Murphy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, so it was just an amazing, fun, joyful, joyful, joyful experience for me. I loved that cast. I loved that story. I needed that movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? I wanted a rom-com, you know, I can watch a rom-com again and again and again and again and again. That's what I love about them. It's just, it's just like, it's a great way to spend two hours. You know, you're going to feel good at the end. Yeah. You know, no matter how irritated or infuriated you get with the characters along the way, you know you're going to feel good at the end. And so, you know, that's why when you're flipping channels and Pretty Woman's on, you end up sitting on your couch for an hour. <laughs> you know I mean, it's like it doesn't matter where you come in, you're going to stay until you see that white limo. And I wanted to make a movie like that that queer people didn't have to translate. Yeah. That queer people could look at and be like, I'm not Julia Roberts or Richard Gere. I'm I am one of those boys. Yeah. I, I, and so I'm so 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 proud of it. Yeah, I'm well, promoting it because not enough people saw it, and it makes me sad. Aww. It just it just kind of went under the radar, and I just I want people to watch it because I I just think it's such a special story, and I think the cast is fantastic in it. Yeah. I just um you know Jake Borelli, Nico Taro, Britt Barron, mm-hmm. uh, Jaffet uh, Balaban, like they're just all so so good, and 
Um, and it was fun to get to act again. And it was great. Yeah. Well, I'm going to keep talking about it and hopefully people okay, will continue good. to go find it. <laughs> yeah. What little influence I have, I'm going to use it. Um, okay. Well, I can ask. Yeah, I did hear that you have uh, self-identified as a rom-com freak. So let's just do a little fun activity. What are some quintessential elements of rom-coms? Um, you know, rom-coms, you need two people that you know are meant to be together. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need an obstacle to keep them apart. Yeah. And, it, you know, in this case, it was um, their uh, ideas about each other. Mm-hmm. That was the obstacle. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's why, that's the formula of when Harry met Sally it is, you know, they're meant to be together, but the way that they think about each other is just going to keep getting in their way. Yeah. And they have to get over, they have to let go of that. Um, yeah. Things that they hold because of their own experiences, their own damage, their own, yeah. you know, works. So mm-hmm. um, that really, that's the formula of a rom-com. Yeah. Two people who are meant to be together and a reason that they can't be. And, you yeah. know, One's alive, one's dead. Uh, one, <laughs> you know, one is, um, you know, one is, uh, one's married, one's not. One's, you know, there's there's a million obstacles you can create. Um, but I loved this one because it was about their own psychological journeys in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah, that's what you got to have the meet cute and then you've got to have the misunderstanding. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, well, yeah, like I said, I absolutely love this one. And there is such an an audience, but I guess it's hard to find it though, or hard for the audience to find what they're looking for because I don't know why, but I love the, I'm a straight woman, but I love these stories. And to me, I know for some women, they took to say queer as folk because it was like, oh, these are hot men and they're, you know, all over each other. But for me, I really liked it as those are two men falling in love with each other. Like I didn't put myself in that at all. Like I really just love seeing that genuine side of, of men and just, I don't know, I had never experienced anything like that. Like I grew up from that same small town Ken was in, you know, we hadn't seen that. And so just to see, oh, two men can really fall in love with each other or, you know, any other type of queer uh, pairing, you know? Well, I mean, I think I think the reason straight women became our predominant fan base on Queer's Folk is because it's relationship-based. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think I do think that there was something titillating and exciting about seeing, you know, two naked guys together uh, or 20, depending on the scene. (laughs) But but I think at its core, you know, women, queer as folk was a soap. Yeah. Ron hates that word, but I think it's so I I love that word. And I, you know, the Fosters was a soap and Mm -hmm. um, and it's and, you know, women um, resonate with emotional storytelling. And that's what it was. Yes, love that movie. Would love to see more like that. Because, you know, in that same interview I listened to you on, you were talking about how there are so few queer stories where there's a happy ending. Um, Like I was looking for a rom-com with more of a queer storyline. And at the end, what usually happens, they don't end up together, Um, you know, because like one wants to stay in the closet or one's not, you know, whatever. I also did. We also one of the rules was it was not a coming out movie. Yeah. I, you know, I love a coming out movie and I love a good, you know, gay trauma porn movie, like a, you know, a good, you know, I, I, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, stories to be explored, but, I, but this was not meant to be that. This yeah. was like two guys who were out of the closet, their, their issues with themselves were not based around their sexuality. They were based around other things that they had to work out. And it, that was just really satisfying to write and yeah. to watch. It still gets me every time. I cry every time. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, like I said, the, I've watched it since then, but the first day it came out, I watched it twice in a row. So, oh, <laughs> yeah. That's when, again, that's really was my goal. I truly, when I articulated that very at the beginning, I want to make a movie that people will watch over and over and over because yeah. it makes them. Yeah. Um, and I do want to say that if people are looking for it, the easiest way to find it is you can buy it on iTunes. Okay. It's in the TV section, not the movie section. And it's only like two ninety nine. Okay. So, so it's, it's not a terrible investment and you get to keep it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you put that out there. Uh, so are you getting ready to go back into production for good trouble? Well, uh, we've been in production. We've been back. Okay. In production. Okay. I just finished. Um, uh, I just finished directing the season premiere for season three, mm-hmm. which we started in March. Yeah. So it's been a crazy, it's been a crazy, crazy ride, but um, yep. It's good troubles up back, back and running and, Got a bunch of other projects I'm working on. I've got some other um, pilots that I'm writing. And so. Nice. Good. Well, I look forward to seeing more of all of that stuff. I know we are, our uh, time's getting short here, but um, yeah, I love all the work that you're doing. And I heard you comment that um, entertainment does have a role to play in, in society and in educating people and affecting change. Like um, absolutely. So I appreciate everything that you're doing with that. Thank you so much. I, of course, I mean, I was, Really lucky. I always, you know, I always knew that art was important. And I, 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 I think Queer as Folk really solidified for me that television, you know, it, it can be art and can affect change. And, um, and it made it really clear to me that the kind of work I was willing to do, the work that I was going to put my time and energy into needed to be about something on some yeah. level. Doesn't mean it can't be fun. Doesn't mean it can't be funny. Doesn't mean it can't be an action movie. Doesn't mean, but it but but it it has to be about the world that we live in. It has to yeah. say something about about that. And yeah. otherwise, what's well, the point? Right. You know, yeah. I just I just saw that like Fast and the Furious. They're doing two more Fast and the Furious movies. Eleventh <laughs> movie. They made billions, literally billions of dollars, and not one cent of it is from me. Yeah. I'm yeah. saying more than three minutes of one of those movies on a Saturday afternoon because I just couldn't. I, I couldn't care less. And it's not, no disrespect. I like, I get that people love them. Mm-hmm. Obviously they made 11 of them, but, um, but it's not, it's, it's not what gets me out of bed. Anymore. Yeah. There's a place for that, but there's enough of that is what I would say. Yeah. yeah. We need more things that do. I mean, that's how I got to, to Queer's Folk. I had a friend who, not can another friend uh, who I think, at that time knew he was gay, but didn't know how to come out to me. And so he was just mm-hmm. offered like, Hey, watch this show with me. <laughs> and, and then I just kind of had to piece it together, but it allowed us to have a conversation that we didn't have words for. So. That's I, that show so much. I, and I, by the way, the fosters, I, I hear that story about the fosters. Yeah, all the same. Time. Mm-hmm. That people, that people, you know, I, oh, it allowed me to have a conversation with my kid about their sexuality or about drug use at school or about their friends group or anything like it just, yeah. you know, and, and I think, you know, we all, we give TV a lot of power in, in our culture. Our living rooms literally in almost every house face our televisions. Yeah. It's big mirror, the black mirror, you know, uh, in, in the middle of every one of our lives. And we've chosen it as this kind of arbiter of truth, even though so much of what's on it is fiction. Um, so, um, you know, it's important to see yourself represented there. And I, like you said, it's a real opportunity to reflect back on your own journey. Yeah. Well, thank you for talking with me today. Thank you for the work that you're continuing to do just from behind the scenes with, you know, a cameo here or there, like in the thing about Harry. Um, but it means a lot to me. I know it means a lot to Ken and just to tons of other people out there. Um, so yeah, just 
Thank well, you. <laughs> thank you. Um, good luck with the podcast. Thank, thank you for you. supporting the show. Um, you know, I, I sometimes feel like Queer as Folk gets forgotten mm-hmm. in the sort of the in the sort of history of television, and I think it really matters. In it a does. Lot of yeah. So I appreciate you guys um, showing it a little love. So yeah. This was an absolute pleasure. So thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Peter. Bye. And there you have it, Folkers. So help me keep my word to Peter and go watch Good Trouble, The Fosters, The Thing About Harry, and just keep supporting good art. See ya. Bye.